0: You're listening to the Mr. Cemetery Show, the podcast that's dedicated to the dark corners of the world. From weird news to historical oddities and the unexplained mysteries, here's your host, Mr. Cemetery. Hello and welcome back to the show, you sick, twisted freaks. I am Mr. Cemetery and with me as always my beautiful co-host with the most, Miss Krista. And you're listening to the Mr. Cemetery Show, a show that's dedicated to the weird, the creepy, and some of the most haunting stories that we both love, but it's mixed with enough wackiness that you don't have to sleep with your little nightlight on. Okay? So, today's episode we're going to be talking about a parasite that eats the tongue, a crazy Ohio massacre story from Krista's hometown, and a murder mystery set from 1944. I'd also like to remind everyone a snail can sleep for three years. With all that being said, let's dive into this week's episode.
1: That's a lazy snail.
0: That is a lazy snail. I couldn't be that lazy snail. No.
1: That's a long time to sleep. Yeah. Three years
0: is a long time. Mm-hmm. I can do six hours. Yeah. I wonder why they do that. I don't know. I'll have to look into that more. Yeah. Good morning. How are you?
1: No. Um, sleepy.
0: Sleepy like a snail? Like
1: a snail. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a sleepy snail. I'm a sleepy like a
0: snail. Yeah, it's way too early. Well, let's go ahead and jump in this episode. I think it's going to be a long one. Yeah. Let's turn it over some weird-ass news. Fish found with a parasite that eats its tongue and then becomes its tongue. Weird. You've heard about a cat getting your tongue? How about a tongue-eating louse?
1: Yeah. it's lousy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 oh, it's going to be a long day with you. <laughs> Earlier this week, officials at the Texas Park and Wildlife Department took a photo of a strange parasite resembling a pill bug that is also known as a snapper-choking isopod, according to San Antonio ABC affiliate, K-S-A-T. The fish containing a parasite was found in the Galveston Island State Park. Officials jokingly suggested on Facebook that the creature was a marten before offering a true science surrounding the crustacean. The tongue-eating louse attaches itself to the fish's mouth and then replaces the tongue according to the Houston Chronicle. The parasite then survives in the fish's mouth by feeding on the host's animal's mucus. Mmm, mm. mucus.
1: <laughs> Yummy. Mm,
0: yes, yes. This is the only known example of a parasite replacing the organ of its host. Although the animal could be the stuff of nightmares, officials said in a Facebook post that the tongue-eating louse doesn't kill the fish or affect humans. I'm not eating a fish. Mm Mm-mm. I don't eat fish anyway, but...
1: Well, I mean, it's in the head. I'm not eating no fish heads.
0: Oh. No?
1: No, not even roly-poly ones. I mean, if I catch
0: a fish and look at it and it's got a little thing waving at me hello <laughs> I'm done <laughs> I'm done so far the reaction of the creepy creature can be summed up by the person who remarked thanks for the new nightmare material the old monsters were getting kind of boring
1: yeah, I have to agree with that guy well yeah I mean murder hornets are old news yeah let's get some tongue eating louses sure yeah.
0: <laughs> the Mr. Cemetery Show will return after these messages
1: too scared to sleep then get some coffee check out our haunting friends over at sinister coffee and creamery they have the perfect coffee to help you stay awake whether you're looking for whole beans ground or organic coffee pods sinister coffee and creamery has you covered their beans are prepared in small batches to ensure a gourmet roast that will have you screaming for more check them out at sinistercoffeeandcreamery.com and use our special discount code cemetery10 to save 10% off your order Again, that's SinisterCoffeeandCreamery.com. Use discount code Cemetery10 to save 10% off your order.
0: Are you in the spine-tingling crime stories? And Krista McKibben's Hatchet Man book is for you. It's a chilling tale set in the 1800s about one of America's earliest serial killers, whose disturbing crimes occurred in both Ohio and Maryland. The book also includes a full trial and confession as told by the Baltimore Sun. Hatchet Man by Kristen McKibben is available on paperback and Kindle, only at Amazon.com. Now, back to the Mr. Cemetery Show. It's your turn to go first.
1: <laughs> Pookie. Are you done? For now. So, my story is called The Moody Massacre. And moody Massacre? Moody Massacre. Were they moody? They were moody. Um, before I get started on this, though, there's I want to say there's a lot to this case and the people involved. But for the purpose of this podcast, I've tried to condense it down to the main points. But if you want to know more about this story, if you get interested... There's a book written called Saving Stacy, written by Rob St. Clair, who also has a Facebook page you can visit. A couple other podcasts that I listened to that I felt did a good job covering this story. There's one called The Parasite Podcast, and True Crime Garage did a pretty good job on it, too. Also, you can Google the story. Many major out- news outlets has done stories, too. There's also a documentary called Porcelain Dolls. That has actual interviews with the only survivor, Stacy Moody, and I'm pretty sure you can find it on Amazon. Huh. So, get all that. that out of the way, yeah. I didn't know all that. Yeah, it's got her, like, some, so many years after the whole incident, and it's kind of more about her and how she's doing more than...
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, they cover what happened, but it's more about her.
0: More of a follow-up. Yeah. That's yeah, interesting.
1: Okay, so... Moving on, on the morning of May 29, 2005 in Logan County, Ohio, Stacy Moody's stepsister Nicole placed a 911 call telling dispatchers that her 15-year-old stepsister and her stepsister's mother had been beaten up and the mother couldn't be woken and she didn't feel a pulse. She moved through the house and she was on the phone and found Scott and Paige and then told dispatchers there's another one in the living room. Soon after, investigators and paramedics arrived to the scene, began asking Stacy several questions. But as she was badly injured, she was drifting in and out of consciousness, and she was only able to answer three questions. Those were, her name was Stacy, she's 15, and she didn't know the person that shot her. She was careflighted to Columbus, and her prognosis looked very grim. She had been shot twice in the back of the head and neck. Investigators on the scene found her brother Scott Moody shirtless with his legs dangling over the edge of the bed and a twenty two rifle next to him. They quickly concluded that 18-year-old Scott Moody killed his family and his friends before turning the gun on himself. Sometime later in the day, about a quarter mile away, Scott and Stacy's grandparents would also be found dead. Both had also been shot. They were about to have breakfast. As the orange juice had been poured, eggs were ready to be cooked, and toast was in the toaster. In all, among the dead were Scott Moody, 18, Moody's mother, Sherry Schaefer, 37, grandparents Cheryl Schaefer, 66, and Gary Schaefer, 67. Two friends, Megan Karras, 19, and Paige Harshberger, 14. May 29, 2005 was not only Memorial Day weekend, but was also graduation day for Riverside High School, the very same school that Scott and Stacy attended, and Scott and Megan were supposed to be there with the rest of their class to graduate that day minutes before the ceremony officials closed the case and notified the school of the terrible tragedy that had occurred earlier that day and two chairs would sit empty during graduation by this time however whispers and rumors had already begun to circulate about the events that occurred early that morning 3 days later doctors determined that Stacy miraculously enough was stable enough to answer questions however the sheriff's department did not send anyone to question her because they had already closed the case huh yeah in 3 days they closed the case within a couple hours. <laughs> yeah, this is a crazy story. This didn't sit too well with the county coroner as he had a job to do as well and needed some questions answered for his own reports to be completed. So he went to Columbus to interview Stacy himself, only as a formality to finish his reports. Even though he thought he already knew the answer, he asked Stacy, Who shot you? She said, It was a gray haired man in a blue shirt and she didn't know him. The coroner was shocked. Seeing Stacy was getting tired, he thanked her for her help and asked the attorney that was present to contact him again as soon as Stacy was up to talking again. A couple days later, the funerals would begin and all the bodies in the Moody family were cremated except for Scott. They immediately declared that it was Scott that did it because there was a gun next to him and now they're going to cremate everybody and never question the only survivor. I don't look good. No. So
0: yeah.
1: now we're down to what else? <laughs> um, everyone dead had at least one shot in the back of the head behind the ear. And everyone except the grandparents and Scott were in bed with covers tucked up to their chin. The report said Scott shot himself through the mouth and in the back of the head with a twenty two long rifle. And he also had switched hands to accomplish this. Okay, so shooting yourself twice it can happen, but it's pretty rare, pretty difficult. Then you're going to switch to your weaker hand. I think that's how that went. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he started with his good hand, switched to his weaker hand, shot himself again. The officer on the scene said his thumb was still on the trigger, but a paramedic reported that the gun was near him in arm's reach. So there's two different minor, though, but conflicting reports on that.
0: Yeah.
1: Also, thumb on the trigger, kind of weird, I think. I mean, I suppose it could land funny. Mm-hmm. And it's a rifle. It depends. Yeah. Three people were at the house the night before, but had left just before the massacre. Brett Davidson, Scott's friend, Jason Southerly, think that's the mother's boyfriend, Andrew Denny, Stacy's friend, maybe boyfriend, all claim there was no problem when they left. Pretty much said they, you know, were having a good time talking about their futures. Yeah. Because they're getting ready to graduate. But yeah, so none of them said there was an issue, any kind of anything out of place. Yeah, just having a good old time. Mm hmm. Brett Davidson said he left to go home at 6 a.m. and Scott's mother invited him back for breakfast when he finished his chores. Kind of a weird situation for me. I, don't, I mean, I guess she could have went back, back to bed. The mother was in bed with the covers up over her gin or under her gin. Uh. So I don't know what that was, that was. She was up, apparently, at some point, though. Uh, like I said, the case was closed within a couple of hours. I haven't seen anything about. Did they test for gun residue to see if anyone had sh- fired a gun that day? I haven't seen any of that. I haven't seen if they actually made sure those bullets <clears throat> matched that gun. Yeah, none of
0: that.
1: Not that I had seen. Nah, did it happen? Maybe, but you would think they'd release that because
0: yeah. the
1: community's pretty upset about this. I mean, they at the time, I'm sure they probably still are if you bring it up, but yeah. uh, <laughs> there's a lot of inconsistencies, it seems like, and you'd think. Just to make everybody feel safe, they would bring this evidence out if it's there, if it exists.
0: <laughs> Do a thing. I don't know what they can release and what they can't.
1: I mean, if the case that's, was closed, it's. I mean, it's not a trial, so you can't. That's true. Bring it all out, but your suspect is is dead. I would think that one Freedom of Information Act, maybe. I, I don't know. I don't know either. That's it's a good a, question. It's pretty weird. Uh, this gun was registered to another person. I don't have their name, but they. The last person the gun was registered was somebody else who then gave it to somebody else who is now dead for other reasons. And they don't seem to have any connection that I can tell. Don't seem to have any connection to the Moody family or the cops. But this gun, I did see something about they were able to somehow trace it to the gun store, which we'll get into a little bit later, that is owned by Detective Stout's family, which is now closed too. But Interesting. Yeah. Many people said Scott didn't like guns, but then there were also many people came out and said Scott didn't have guns. He didn't like guns. But then there's also some people that came out and said, yeah, well, he did hunt occasionally. So then there's a lot of that in this. Got two sides. Yeah. Of stuff going on here. (laughs) A lot of conflicting things coming out. A police report said that a domestic violence counselor made a report that said she saw Scott's mother. Once, and she told her that Scott was violent and she wanted her son out of the house, and they were working on how to make that happen. I believe this report was put in the book Saving Stacy, but the author, Rob St. Clair, later said that this counselor got a hold of him and said she never made that statement and never talked to Scott's mother. So that was weird. Nearly everyone that knew Scott said he was not capable of doing this, except for a small handful of people, and we're talking like three or four that I know of said that he he had violent outbursts but
0: they're probably just talking shit
1: could be you know if there's somebody else actually behind it just trying to get bad character witness they went back six years of his school records and the only problem that he's been in trouble for was for being tardy so i would think somebody that had some real issues would have more than that in six years like a kid yeah you know so what would be the motive the speculation that Scott's family lived on a seemingly well-to-do dairy farm called Shaker Farms. Shake, shake, shake. It's S-H-A dash K-E-R. I think it's blending two names together or something is Uh. maybe what's going on there. But there's a weird will situation in which the great-grandmother left Stacy and Scott ownership of a quarter each of the farm upon the deaths of the grandmother and mother. The grandmother and mother don't really get ownership of the farm, but they get the benefit of it and they have to run it. Yeah. Basically. So I think the great grandmother didn't really trust them to keep it in the family. So she she did this weird thing and I don't understand it entirely, but made just to make sure it fell to her great grandkids, Scott and Stacy. Yeah. So they, you know, wouldn't have ownership, but be in charge of it and benefit while they were alive. However, they failed to pay back taxes on the farm and owned several thousand in back taxes. Some speculated that Scott couldn't cope with the idea of taking over the farm with all that pressure. However, the tax situation was being worked out and Scott wouldn't actually be in charge despite turning 18 and graduating. He didn't gain ownership while his mother and grandmother were still alive. But wait, there's more. At some point, a detective does begin talking to Stacy and convinces her father and stepmother to let him have access to her so he can help her through the trauma. Somehow he'd been in, appointed in charge, supposedly, to help her deal with it after the fact. He even gotten them to add him to the, the list at school so he could take her from school anytime he wanted. After a while, the stepmother kind of got suspicious and they had landline. So she picked up the phone, the other phone, and overheard Detective Stout and Stacey talking. And I guess it got kind of inappropriate. Uh-oh. Yeah, so I think they decided to start pressing charges and, and you know, dealing with that. Well, well, father. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Big yeah. pissed. The detective was fired and ultimately just got a slap on the wrist. Now...
0: Surprise, surprise yeah. there.
1: I don't even think he got any kind of sexual charges against him, but Stacy ended up refusing to testify. Yeah. So I think in the end, he admitted that the only wrongdoing he did was he thought about speeding while she was in the car and i think he got like a child endangerment thing (laughs) it it, it was just real bad and there's like a lot more to all that it's it's all just awful what
0: in the world
1: (laughs) yeah the logan county community had longtime rumors about corruption in the sheriff's department and some of those rumors were that some officers were involved in sex and drugs with underage girls it's also been said that the night before the murders, and I don't know that there's any actual proof of this, but the grandfather supposedly called the department the night before to discuss this with the sheriff because he believed his granddaughter was involved and he was rightfully pretty angry about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the night before the murders, he called and said, hey, I left a message saying, you know, I want to talk to the sheriff about this. And, of course, that never happened, so... Yeah. Um, Something else that kind of struck me a little weird in this story is the kids began their night at another party, but I guess they said they saw some plain-clothed officers at this party, so they decided to leave and then go back to the Moody farm. My issue there is, and there may be nothing to it, but the officers were out of uniform and partying with other kids, so why were they avoiding them? I, I feel like maybe there might have been something else going on. And yeah. Maybe. I, Could be. Scott was also found wearing jeans with no belt, clean white socks, and no shirt. Like the socks weren't even, you know, when you walk around on the floor and you get yeah. dirty. Okay, so there's they were like right fresh, clean, white socks. No blood, no dirt. Why uh, did
0: they change his the socks, though? That's just weird.
1: I would think that they, why would he do it? I mean, if they're saying it's him, why would he change his clothes and have no shirt? Or did he go, because his grandparents were about a quarter of a mile away. Yeah. They shared on the same farm. Did he go shirtless and, or did he go naked? Could be. It's weird. They said, they said. They say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They said he always wears a belt because he has to. There was a pair of jeans with his belt on, still in the jeans, on the floor next to him. I think the thing mm. is, like, he's pretty skinny. He's got to wear a belt that can't keep his pants up.
0: Well, I mean, if you're going to go murder a bunch of people, the last thing you're really worried about is a belt. Well, if you're
1: going to be running around murdering a bunch of people, you don't want to be fighting with your pants. Keeping them up. It's true. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's another one. I don't know. His shoes. It's also my understanding that his shoes were only covered in mud because they were out riding four wheelers during the night before. So no blood, just just the mud from four wheeling. So you've got no blood on his shoes, no blood on his socks, unless they didn't check.
0: Possibility there. They don't sound like they're all
1: all there. This is some pretty sloppy police work. It sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm no professional. Where are you? But, I mean, when you close a case like this within two hours. Yeah, that's. You can't. You're missing. You got to be missing a lot. There's no investigation.
0: Yeah. There's holes all in this. Story.
1: Um, there also was a trail, a blood trail from like train tracks <laughs> from the head of the bed that Scott's in down to where his body is. Like it would look like he had been drugged huh. down. Um, I think they were blaming that his, Paige was his girlfriend of uh, about a week and a half, couple weeks. Yeah. Like they just started dating and Paige was in, in the bed too. So I think, I don't know if they were just trying to say that that was her blood, uh, but if it's a drag mark.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I, that's wrong too. So, um, I don't think they tested the blood. Who's is who's. <laughs> okay. There's photos online. You can actually look. I seen, uh, that show his clean socks, as well as some others from the scene. I think, you know, you can see the mattresses and stuff. So if you want to look that up, you can. So that's the main point of this story, and there really are a lot more details out there. So I do highly recommend checking out the things I mentioned at the beginning of this segment if you're interested. Uh, what do you think about it?
0: I think it's fucked up.
1: Yeah, there is so much wrong with this whole It's almost story. like...
0: The White House murders.
1: Yes. Murders at White House Farms. Yeah. There's a... I think that's an HBO Max show. I just watched it. Yeah. It's it, pre- very similar to that, especially in the way the police work. Um, It kind of has a DeFeo. Yeah.
0: Uh, a, this is,
1: Amityville kind of thing. They were all in bed and getting shot.
0: This is all over the place. It's. I remember when this happened, because we were up there that weekend, and yeah. it was... Freaking crazy. Yeah,
1: everybody was buzzing, like, trying to figure it out. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is just so wrong. There is so much
0: yeah.
1: wrong with this story. And I can I don't understand why it's still never been opened. Um, you know, maybe someone else needs to get involved. I think BCI at the time, BCI, Bureau of Criminal Investigation, yeah. uh, had some involvement in it for some reason, but I don't know where and to what extent or, or when to what extent. Maybe this is something for the FBI. I don't know.
0: Yeah, this is this is pretty crazy. Closing the investigation within two to three hours is that, insane. Yeah.
1: You don't talk to the only survivor.
0: I, I don't know. This one's wild.
1: Yeah, it's it's a really crazy one. What do you think? I don't think Scott did it, to be honest. I just no. I I don't think he did. I I don't think he did. I. I feel like. I feel like there has to be more than one person. That's a lot of people, and they're all in bed except the grandparents.
0: Feels cop related.
1: Definitely feels like there's somebody's. There are, I believe, a couple people that witnessed said they witnessed a gray haired man walking up the road. Yeah. That morning.
0: I don't know. This is crazy. Mm -hmm.
1: Like I said, there's a lot more details if you want to look them up in the book and and online yeah you can find other
0: i forgot all about this i never looked into it again yeah after the time we were up there so that's that's crazy i'm definitely gonna have to look some stuff
1: yeah yeah there is so much this is a big story wow. there's a lot more than i realized too
0: yeah i just remember when it happened
1: and right i was same and just kind of came back up when i'm looking so i don't even know what i was looking up but there i was, was looking at some was, other stuff and then came back up
0: then there was a murder at Christmas like that was like all in one year.
1: May yeah. I think that was I don't know if that was related or not.
0: It wasn't related, but it was still it was just like Yeah. We, we went up there and then there was a murder and then we went back I feel up like in there.
1: Since yeah. I've moved away from there, there's been quite a few murders. I don't know what's going on with Logan County, yeah. but um
0: I just remember that because we're like, shit, we need to come up here.
1: <laughs> yeah. There is another uh, that Rob St. Clair, I don't know if he's came out with the book yet or not, but he's got another book coming out, and it's also dealing with Logan County. Some of the same players. There was a hit on a man named Dan Ott because of some other crime ring thing going. Yeah. But the guy uh, the guy that killed Dan Ott killed the wrong Dan Ott. And my understanding is I I believe that they were killed in the same way. Back of the head, behind the ear, and blankets pulled up. I, I might be yeah. a little wrong on that, but I, I think that's what I was hearing. That's wild. So, and yeah, like I said, um, some of the same people involved. <laughs> My story is, who put Bella in the witch elm. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty good story. Yes. yes. I know a little bit, not much, just a little. A good one.
0: On April 18, 1943, four boys from Birmingham, England, were marching through the Hagley Woods searching for food. World War II was raging across Europe, and due to the rationing, Bob Farmer, Robert Hall, Fred Payne, and Thomas Willits were out looking for a bird's nest that might have some free eggs in it. Good little afternoon. Mm. Yeah. Except for they're starving enough. Yeah. One of the boys split off and looked into a stump of an old witch elm. When he peered through the tangled branches, a round white object caught his eye. The young man had not discovered an egg, however, he discovered a human skull. One of the boys used a stick to remove the skull from the tree. Before leaving the scene, the skull was replaced, and it said the boys vowed to never speak of it again. But by the next day, one of the boys squealed to his father, who called the police. First off, snitches get stitches. Right. So, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> How would you react if your teenage you, or you now, found the human skull in a tree?
1: I'd be probably a little freaked out. I mean, a be kind of cool and be yeah. like hey cool there's cold in here but i'd be the same way but I'd probably be a little freaked out and yeah. i would probably tell somebody
0: <laughs> yeah yeah but still snitches and stitches it's true one of the boys thomas willis took the police back to the tree stump located 35 yards from the Hagleywood wood lane the police found the tree approximately five to six feet tall with an opening that tapered down getting narrow as 16 inches in diameter at one point Investigators gathered the skull and other bones from around the tree, as well as some of the bones found in the surrounding area, believed to have been scattered by wildlife. A forensic scientist named Professor J. M. Webster was able to partially reconstruct the skeleton of a woman between 25 and 40 years old, most likely closer to 35 years of age. The bones showed no sign of disease or violence, though a large piece of taffeta had been stuffed into her mouth, leading to a suspicion of suffocation as possible cause of death. A description of the woman was released to the public describing a woman who was 5 feet tall, light brown hair, and dressed in striped blue and mustard-colored cardigan. and a mustard-colored skirt, one blue shoe size five and a half, was found outside the tree. Inside the trunk was a matching partner as well, as a cheap gold ring. It was believed that the woman had been dead for at least 18 months. Suicide as a possible cause of death was rolled out through the particular shape of the tree. Professor Webster said, I can't imagine the person getting into the tree voluntarily without doing herself a considerable amount of damage. I don't know about you. And, you know, people do a lot of stupid stuff, especially if someone's chasing them. You're going to try to get in anywhere you can. True. Now, this was in the 40s. War was going on. Someone is chasing you. You're going to get in anywhere you can get in.
1: Right. Yeah. You're going to probably go to a small spot. It's kind of more hidden. Yeah. I mean, people do a lot if of stuff. If you're stu- being chased, yeah. do we know that? I mean, we don't know that. We don't know that.
0: But, you know, people can do a lot of stupid stuff. Right. How many people you know or have heard of knowing has climbed down a chimney? Chin-
1: yes. <laughs> where I was just thinking about was playing Santa Claus, mm-hmm. you know, or hiding out. Yeah. I just watched a thing where somebody was stuck in a pillar from a store. So
0: I- you hear those stories a lot. Yeah. So, Professor, I have to call you out on that one. Police searched the records of missing women, but turned up nothing. After releasing the description of the women, calls came in from all around the area, but unfortunately, none of them were leads that produced the match. An inquest jury found a verdict of, quote, murder by some person or persons unknown, end quote. On May 4th, a report was published to the Birmingham Daily Gazette calling for Dennis to come forward, who may recognize the distinctive features in the woman's teeth. In the lower jaw, her front teeth overlap. A tooth was missing from the right side, likely pulled out by a dentist within the year of the woman's death. But still, no identity could be given of the remains. In March of 1944, an empty building in Birmingham was graffitied with chalk. It read, "Who put Bella down the witch elm?" Hackley Wood. It was almost a year since the body was found, but this was the first time she was given a name. The words appeared too high up on the wall to be done by boys pulling a prank, and the police were intrigued. I'm intrigued myself. I'm intrigued. After discovering a graffiti another report came into the police about a house on Hayden Hill Road that had also been vandalized with the words who put Bella down the witch elm because the graffiti was all in the same handwriting and because the tag spelled witch correctly. Police believe the lone countryman was responsible. Anyone who knew of a Bella had gone missing were asked to call the police. So my question for you is do you think someone's trying to pressure the investigators with this handwriting, writing or do you think they're mocking them?
1: Um, Maybe a little both. That's what I think. And I was just wondering, they believe it's the same person because they spelled the word witch correctly?
0: Yes. Witch is W-Y-C-H for the tree.
1: Oh, for the tree the witch elm. Okay. Well, all right. Yeah, I can see a lot of people would misspell that.
0: In August of 1944, the writing began to appear again, quote, Hagleywood Labella was opposite Rose and Crown Asbury. End quote, was found written by a nearby Hagley Owens and Woofer Hampton. I know I screwed those names up, but we're going to roll with it.
1: Sure, nailed it.
0: The handwriting appeared to match the previous vandalisms, but still no one could turn up any records of a lubella or bella that matched the body found. In 1953, nine years after the last graffiti note appeared, police found their witch elm street artist, though it turned out that police had been barking up the wrong tree. See what I did there? I see what you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The county's detective superintendent remarked, it was the work of a crank who we are satisfied knew nothing and had nothing to do with the case. So it seems that Bella wasn't even Bella after all. Mm-hmm. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> but there are several theories to the whole story of what
1: happened. Mm, I'm listening. Are you listening? I'm listening. Are you sure? Mm-hmm.
0: The first theory was one advanced by police early on. The mystery woman's death occurred during one of the war air raids. The woman may have looked for safety in the woods. The police supposed that the woman may have been attacked or gagged, perhaps maybe dying accidentally as a result, and then stuffed into the elm. Then her family would have just assumed that she died in the air raids, and not alerted by any authorities. But this theory fails to explain how the woman got into the tree, and who was responsible. Air raids suck.
1: I would imagine so. Air raids would be
0: very sucky. Mm-hmm. You know, we used to live in, in town right underneath the, the
1: tornado siren. Oh, I know. That was just... That uh, was a bad enough. I'm right? sure an air raid siren is... Yeah, that with bombs flying in the air. Fuck a bunch of that. Yeah. Yeah, you're always... I would... I couldn't imagine living like that. Just constantly on edge. Yeah. It would be awful. As
0: soon as that thing would go off, you'd be just like, oh, my God. Yeah. Fuck a bunch of air raids. Another theory detailed in a 1950 article in Birmingham Daily Gazette assumed that the woman may have been in human sacrifice, stating that there were still reminiscence of witchcraft in the isolated parts of Great Britain. Sacrifices are carried out by people who still believe in the religion practiced in Britain before Christianity, whom we call the devil worshippers.
1: Mm, always and the devil worshippers. Always.
0: And they still practice black magic today. The belief is that life is taken out of the ground through farming. It must be replaced with a blood sacrifice. Due to the fact that not just because the woman found in the witch elm, but another person later found murdered in the area it could have been caused by the devil worshipers. Mm. I call it bullshit. I don't know. I feel like this one's just a way to scare people into religion, and I hate that crap.
1: <laughs> oh, we got no answer. It was the devil worshipers. Yeah. Do you remember what, back in the maybe 80s, early 90s? There were Satanists run around everywhere.
0: The devil worshippers were everywhere. <laughs> 80s and 90s, I tell you what, everywhere. Every town had the devil worshippers.
1: Mm-hmm. Snatching up kids. Yeah. In white vans. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Damn the devil worshippers. Apparently in some lore, Hagley Woods used to be home to some covens of witches. And there is an ancient tradition of trapping a witch inside a hollow tree. Using it as sort of a prison to prevent her from causing any further trouble in the world. That would suck. Yeah. Shove her in the tree.
1: Not a fan. Unless there was a little chipmunk in there. I'd be like, hey, little chipmunk. (laughs) Hey. Make a little buddy. Little tree buddy.
0: There were indications that the tree in which the body was found before the body was placed inside had occasionally been trimmed and stunned its growth, but there isn't much physical evidence other than that. The final theory as to why no one came forward to identify the woman was because she was a foreigner and possibly even a Nazi spy. Mm. Yeah devil worshipers and nazis in november 1953 a newspaper received a letter claiming that the sender knew the identities of the woman in the tree and her murderer the letter signed simply anna read you will never solve the mystery the one person who gave you the answer is now behind the jurisdiction of earthly courts the affair is closed and involves no witches black magic or moonlight rights The person responsible died instant in 1942, and the victim was Dutch and carried illegally in Europe about 1941. The Anna was eventually found and questioned by police. Reports say that this Anna's identity was one Una Moosop. Watch your mouth. Una claimed that her husband, a Royal Air Force pilot named Jack Moosop, got caught up in a branch of spy ring that the woman in the tree was involved in. Una claimed that the woman was also a spy who was looking for her intel on future air raids that would also strike in England. Again, air raids suck. Mm-hmm. There are some different accounts of Jack's possibility involvement in the woman in the tree. One claims Jack was a Dutch man named Ron Vilt who was also part of the spiring ring, were out drinking with the woman. She allegedly got too drunk and passed out, and the two men stuffed her in the tree as a joke. When she woke up, she was unable to free herself and ended up dying in there. Whatever happened to the woman, Uma claimed, it gave her husband nightmares, causing him to decline in mental health. Jack died in a mental hospital before the remains were discovered, so we can't ask him anything. Yeah. Also, the Bella's remains have been lost over the years, meaning the case can't take advantage of modern DNA analysis.
1: They lost her remains? They lost her remains. How does that happen?
0: Well, you don't want to know. Okay. (laughs) And clouding the chances of future progress in the case, and we'll never know who put Bella down the witch jail. So, my question to you, what do you think about all of this?
1: Mm, I don't know. I guess I'd have to really see the actual tree to see how tight of a spot. Even then, I mean, I can't imagine she's shoving somebody in there
0: got down to 17 inches in dynamic. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty small.
1: Like I can see somebody wiggling in and getting themselves stuck. But to just shove a body in there.
0: It was five to six feet tall. Yeah. I'm thinking she jumped in there to get away from something. In the I middle feel of war, more
1: inclined to go that way.
0: I mean, you're in the middle of the woods. war all around you. Air raids. Shit going on. You're looking for cover.
1: Yeah. Although I don't know how much cover a tree is going to get you, but when I was a kid, you had to hide under a desk, so.
0: Right. <laughs> I couldn't fit under a desk today. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I
0: mean, that's what they taught you, you know. Yeah, they so
1: hide under your desk. I don't know that the desk was going to be much help. And that was but,
0: in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm thinking in the 40s, probably worse. hmm You know, that's just me. But I think she just jumped in there trying to get away from stuff she put herself in the witch
1: probably that's what i'm gonna love yeah
0: well that's it for this episode thank you so much for tuning in if you liked what we do here and want to support the podcast please share it with others and post about it on social media we really appreciate your support to catch the latest from me follow me over on instagram at mr cemetery until next time see ya the Mr. Cemetery Show is an independent production. Like this episode? Head over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Don't forget to join us next week for another great episode. As always, stay creepy, my friends. I got me a belly button. It's so cool. I'm going to name him Fred. Ha <laughs> ha.